Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway. So let me say that it is no pastor's dream to preach on submission and teach a class on sexuality on the same Sunday. And just to top it off, I managed to potentially like tear a ligament in my knee this week and we got the stomach flu early in the week. So it has been a week. I brought my cane here, so if you don't like what I have to say this morning, at least maybe you'll feel bad for me. <laughs> and if you really don't like what I have to say, I have something to defend myself with. So I'm ready to, yeah, Scotty said you could pull me off the stage, but I was thinking uh, much more aggressively than that, since I obviously have not internalized the passage. <laughs> All right. Maybe this is just for me, but let's let go of some anxiety and give this to God. Lord, I pray that you would do something in us and through us through this passage, Lord, that it would teach us to be more like Jesus. That if nothing else, we we take that away, that there is a calling to be like Jesus towards one another in our social relationships, in our families, in our marriages. Wherever we find ourselves, Lord, help us to put on Jesus and to be like Christ towards one another. And we pray that as we do, your kingdom would come. We would see your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Ephesians 5, 21 to 6, 9. Everyone's favorite passage, right? I know you're all excited for this one, the submission passage. I'm fully aware of, like, some of the damage that's been done with this passage. So if anyone needs to just, like, step out and walk around the block for 20 minutes, like, that's fine. But I also think there's something good here, and no matter where we come from or what roles we're in, I think there's some good news we can get. And the basic synopsis is this. Love one another in the deep sacrificial love of God, and you will see Christ come. Love one another in the deep sacrificial love of Christ or of God. It doesn't matter. And you will see Christ come. Amen? Amen. All right, so you guys ready to dive in? Okay, let's do it. All right, so it should be said, there's a headline to this whole passage, everything that comes after it, and it gets obscured because it's actually written as a transitional phrase. Like in Ephesians 4 and 5, Paul's talking about how to live in community, how to live as an individual, and now he's going to switch to how to live within social roles. And there's this transitional phrase in the middle of those two sections, and it's this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It gets a little bit obscured, um, uh, but this is how he joins these sections together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Everything that comes after should be judged by this sentiment. And you'll notice it doesn't say that to one group or another. It says that to everyone. So this is the, like, token posture of all Christians towards one another in all relationships. So whether we're male or female, have power or feel powerless, or a teacher or a learner, young or old, whatever role we find ourselves in, we're supposed to empty ourselves, find ourselves in Jesus, and be Jesus to the person across from us. Whatever role we're in, we're supposed to be the Jesus version of that thing. 
And we are supposed to live out the deep sacrificial love of Christ so that we both might be changed and walk into the kingdom of God together. So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's kind of the banner headline to this whole thing. Got it? And I know that word submission has given us gives us some issues, and that's fair because it's a word that's been weaponized, right? It's been a word that's been used against people. It's been a word that's been used to justify oppression and abuse, and a word that's generally been used in one direction. Right? It's been used for, by those who have power towards those who are powerless, when clearly what Paul is saying like, is like, no, everyone is supposed to have something of this posture. This word's also been run through cultural standards. Whatever the gender roles are of a particular culture is generally how we've read this passage. And so it's been used to wash away the humanity of women and children and slaves and used as, a, as an image of unquestioned obedience where the only possible answer is yes, sir. But the reality is when we see the word submit, the first thing we should think of is Christ. How should we understand what, what submission is? It's, it's Jesus. He is our model in this. Jesus, who had all the power in the world, but chose to serve the weak and lowly. Jesus, who is called Lord and Master by his disciples, yet chose to wash their feet. Jesus, who could have called down legions of angels, but instead stayed silent before Pilate and takes up the cross. Jesus is never a doormat or a yes man, right? Christ is someone who has all the means to bring down destruction, but knows that he is secure enough in the love of God that he can choose to give love away instead. And so when we read a passage like Ephesians 5 and think about the word submission, our first image shouldn't be this. You guys know who that is? Film history, Scotty? Uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Streetcar Named Desire. That's Marlon Brando, Stanley Kowalski, and Blanche Dubois. It shouldn't be Marlon Brando demanding his rights as a husband. When we think of submission, our, the framing image we should think of is this. When we think of Ephesians 5, we shouldn't first think of 1950s gender roles. We should think of a passage like Philippians 2, 5 to 11, which says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. We are supposed to be Christ to one another. Whether you're a wife or a husband, a boss or the employee, we're supposed to love one another in the deep sacrificial love of Christ. And as this passage says, when we do that, when we empty ourselves in Christ, we are actually lifted up. 
the kingdom of God actually comes. And so it's my job to stop us here and say, how are you doing? Because typically what we've done is we've moved right past this and majored in trying to figure out the gender roles and the social roles here and minored in the putting on Jesus part of this passage. And I really, really, really want to argue that we should flip that dynamic. Major in the putting on Jesus thing and minor in the social roles. And if we do that, even if we mess up the second part, I'm pretty sure we'll be fine. So how are you doing? In your relationships, in your community, in your friendships, in your place of work, are you living out the deep sacrificial love of Jesus? Before we go policing anyone else, the Bible always asks us to examine ourselves. How are we doing being Jesus to those around us? passage but again that's the like that's the work right the work is not teasing out exactly how gender roles are supposed to work the work is putting on Jesus that's the hard work that's the meaningful work that's the work that really changes things the other funny thing we have to say about this passage in its day it was wildly progressive that can be hard to read on it because it feels uh, not so when we read it now but in the ancient world, the way it worked was patriarchy was the assumed norm, which is to say people lived in households, right? And we're not talking like two-parent households with 2.5 kids. They lived in larger extended families, and they were arranged hierarchically. So men on top, right? Wives were the property of husbands. Children were the property of parents. And slaves were the property of masters. And I'm not saying that's how it should be. That's how it was. And you know what you were allowed to do with your property? Anything. Anything. It's your property. So if you want to sleep with your slaves, it's your right. If you want to beat your kids, they're your kids. If you want to tell your wife what to do, she's your property. Again, I don't mean to be callous, but that's how it worked. So this passage we have this morning are what, what are called household codes. They're rules for a household, and Paul didn't invent them. You can actually find them throughout the ancient world. And when you find them throughout the ancient world, you know what they usually say? They'll say this. Wives, submit to your husband. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. And you know what they don't say? This, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Masters, treat your slaves the same way. 
This is actually pretty radical stuff in its day, to say that there actually is a standard and an expectation towards those who have power. That Paul does not actually envision these one-way hierarchical relationships, but instead envisions a community of mutual submission. We'll get more into this, but both Paul and Jesus actually have this vision of a new kind of household, right? Where whoever is following after Christ is joined together in this household, and everyone is a brother and sister in Christ, and you will call no man father. Right? That doesn't mean my kids can't call me dad. It means there's no earthly lord. No one gets to be patriarch. No one gets to tell everyone else what to do. Everyone submits to one another. So the bad news here is no one's off the hook, right? Doesn't matter what role you're in. This posture applies to everyone. And that might be hard because there is a loss of self that comes with it. But like the cross, When we empty ourselves, when we choose to love the other person, when we choose not to assert our rights, either as the powerful person or as the powerless person, we open up space for Christ to come and work and do something new. Love one another in the deep sacrificial love of Christ, and you will see Christ come. Amen? Paul says we don't do this because it's like natural, right? Like nobody should assume that like your natural posture is going to be one of surrendering to the other person. We do it because we stand under Christ together. Submit to reverence, submit to one another. That's not the end of the sentence. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because we realize where we stand, right? Because we realize that Christ has already poured himself out for us because we realize that we both stand under one Lord together, that no one is an earthly Lord, but we all, st- all power is marginalized by what Christ has done. And so Paul says that, right? When he's talking about masters and slaves, he says, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So in other words, when you stand over your fellow human being, remember when, you, when you're in an argument, when you're trying to work something out, remember that you both stand under God. So you can go to that. You know, we naturally want to do this, right? Stand over the other person. But what Paul's saying is that. Realize that you both stand under God together. So one of the things Paul calls us to is that in our relationships, especially our difficult ones, try to put on this image. And let it marginalize the power dynamic and let it humble us and let it realize that we only stand because of God's great love for us. And because we stand in that place, because that's where we are found, because that's where our worth is, we can surrender ourselves and give that great love away to the person across from us. So Paul is aware that we still live in this world, and that's a lot of what's going on in this passage, that you can't just go in and tell off your boss. Children still have to obey parents, and in many cultures, strict gender roles are still the, the, way, of, the way things work. But Paul will look forward to the day when all those are done away with, but until that time, what he does is marginalizes and humanizes power dynamics. 
right? He takes away the Lord and the, the submitting one and says, you both stand under God. I shouldn't say the submitting one. You know what I mean. He takes away the hierarchy. He marginalizes it. So whenever you're in a power dynamic, Paul says, realize that you stand under Christ together, and because of this reverence for Christ, we can love one another in the deep sacrificial love of God. So I would say, what does this actually teach us about social roles? So again, Paul's writing to the first century's church, and most people lived in households. Most people lived in places where all these power dynamics applied. And Paul is telling them how to live within these dynamics. We've made the mistake often of assuming that Paul is endorsing all of these dynamics and saying that they are timeless things that are supposed to exist always, and saying that they are of Jesus, and of believing that Paul sees all their hierarchies and says that they are, they are of God. And we know that Paul doesn't believe this because he says so. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul tells slaves that if they can get their freedom, they should. That's actually very different than saying, right, this is like the divinely appointed role that's been given to you and accept your lot in life. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that like social hierarchies are given by God. He actually says if you can get out of slavery, do it. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul also tells people if they can stay unmarried, they should. Right? And that a husband's body belongs to his wife just as a wife's body belongs to her husband. It's pretty radical stuff in a culture built on patriarchal households. Right? Paul, we know, is under the patronage of several prominent women, Phoebe and Lydia and Priscilla. Paul allows women to serve as deacons and apostles and to give prophecy in church gatherings. We see constantly Paul pushing on the gender roles of the day, the hierarchies of the day, the assumptions of the day. And of course, if we want to dip back into the teachings of Jesus, Jesus tells us to be like children, to aspire to be servants or slaves. And he entrusts the first witness of the resurrection to women who weren't even considered legal witnesses in the ancient world. They both constantly subvert and marginalize hierarchies. And envision this, again, this new household based on the radical teachings of Jesus where everyone who is a brother, everyone who wants to follow the teachings of Jesus is a brother and sister in Christ where we all submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And all of it looks forward to this future apocalyptic age when Jesus says that we'll no longer be married or given in marriage, right? That our status is no longer found in marriage. Our worth is not found in our social role. And Paul's sweeping statement in Galatians 3, 26 and 28, you can put that up. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So that's where we're going. That's where the arrow points. And Paul says if you can get there now, do it. By all means, do it. But we still live in this world. And sometimes... 
So if you're a slave, try to get your freedom. But if you can't, live out your role in the love of Christ. Find meaning in your work. Even if you can't do it for your master, do it for God. Give your work as a pleasing offering for God. And remember that the slave master is a human too, and he also is under God. He needs to be freed from the system of oppression. And if, and if you can put on Christ, you just might win him over, and you'll both walk into the kingdom of God forever. Does that make sense? And that probably applies to all of us when we find ourselves on the wrong end of power dynamics, right? Don't, be, don't let yourself be defined by your lowly role. Don't find yourself worthless. Find yourself in Christ. Find meaning in whatever you have to do. And in Christ, you get to marginalize the boss's power over you, right? He's not your Lord. He's your boss. Amen. <laughs> That's an important <laughs> distinction, right? Whatever job you find yourself in, yeah, like, don't just go off telling off your boss. But he's just your boss. He's not your Lord. And Paul is saying that. Realize that. Be free in Christ. Live as Christ. And that frees you to walk in love even in tough situations. And if you walk in love, you just might see the kingdom of God come. As for marriage, obviously this is the hot button one. I don't think Paul is saying live as though you belong to a first century household. I don't think that's what he's saying, that the power dynamics you would have found in the first century are how we're supposed to be living here in the 21st century. He's saying, if you find yourself in a first century household, live in such a way. If you find yourself in a 21st century household, you have to do the same work. To put on Christ and learn what it means to be Christ within the roles that you have. If you're the provider for your household, don't lord it over your spouse. Be grateful for what you have and use it to build the other person up. If you're the maintainer of your household, don't do it in resentment and bitterness or even to win the favor of your spouse. Do it out of love in order to serve and build the other person up. If you're six foot three and lift weights and like football, you probably like masculinity. Don't be defined by shallow versions of masculinity, but let it be shaped by Christ. Someone who used his power to protect the vulnerable, to love the lost, to give voice to the voiceless. Christ's masculinity is found most fully in the cross, not in the sword. Amen? Amen. So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And likewise, if you know you're... Five one and sing soprano and are deeply compassionate. Don't settle for shallow and demeaning views of femininity. Be conformed to Christ. A Christ who is unafraid of tenderness, of loving the outsider, of being a mother hen who longs to gather her chicks. Realize all the ways that Christ inverts power and gives power to the small things of the world. Realize that you are fully found in Jesus, your security is in Christ, not marriage, and then you can give yourself away.
And if you're someone for whom gender stereotypes and binary stuff doesn't work well, exhale. You're okay. I don't think what this passage is saying is shoehorn yourself into some restrictive gender role. Instead, I think what it says is take the thing that you have and sanctify it. That the goal is Jesus, not gender roles. Do the work to find yourself in the self-sacrificial love of Jesus however you are wired. I think the hard work of this passage is not conforming yourself to a gender identity. It's conforming your gender identity to Jesus. And however you understand yourself and your gender, let it be shaped by Jesus. Be the Jesus version of that. Yeah, I could be wrong here. We don't have time to do like a semester-long seminar on gender here. But if you major on the being like Jesus part and mess up the gender roles, I think you're going to be fine. And if you switch that around, I'm not, not quite sure the same is true. So do what you need to do. If you find yourself in the traditional gender roles and that works and that helps you be like Jesus, like, right on. But if you found that to be oppressive and not really something that works for you, I think that the calling is find yourself in Jesus. Not try and force yourself into something that might actually just even be cultural standards anyway. So wherever you are, shape yourself by Jesus. Whether you're a provider, a maintainer, a teacher, a counselor, or a doer, or an empath, find your calling and worth in Jesus. Use those gifts to build the other person up. Shape your role not on power or domination, but shape your role in the deep sacrificial love of Jesus. And if we do that, Christ will come. And I keep saying that, right? That if we live this out, if we live in the deep sacrificial love of Christ, Christ will come. And I'll wrap up here. This is a mysterious thing. That's what Paul says. This is a mystery. It's in some level, right? Because when we do the things of Christ, we reflect Christ. We look like Jesus. We live out the cross. We, we smell like Jesus. But there, I think there's something more there, right? It's not just moral behavior. It's not just... Uh, trying to be like Jesus. In 31 and 32 it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So whenever I talk about this passage, I, I get to go back to a fight that Susan and I had early on in our marriage. She's not usually in the room when I preach, so she gets to be here for this one. And I, you know, I don't remember. It was like the first year of our marriage, and we were in the back bedroom in Doran's house. And I don't even remember what we were fighting about. But, you know, I was picking on her and telling her what she needed to do and how she needed to get it right. And she said to me something I will never forget, which is this. I can do almost anything if I know that I am. I can do almost anything if I know that I am loved. I think 
that sentiment stands at the heart of this passage. Have you experienced that to be true? When we stand over and against one another and demand our rights, we might get our way. But we will see the other person shrink and become less. Or we will see them punch back and break the relationship. But when we choose love, even if the other person is acting badly, even if they're falling short, even when it's our right to demand something of them, even when fairness dictates they're supposed to do something, when we choose not to make ourselves comfortable, but to empty ourselves and love the other person, they grow. They become the Jesus version of themselves. Have you experienced that? And I've seen this in community, right? When someone shows up and they're afraid they're going to get kicked out if they say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing they hide and if that narrative is confirmed for them they shrink but I've seen this over and over again when people feel that they are safe and they are loved that people are going to support them and have their back no matter what they grow Christ comes And this is part of what Paul's getting at. When we live in this way, when we live in this Jesus self-emptying way, we're actually reflecting the deep covenantal love of God that says, I got you no matter what. I love you no matter what. I love you not based on anything you've done for me, but I love you just because. And that love is not going away. And that when we live in these ways, somehow we become this vessel for that tremendous, all-encompassing, grace-filled covenantal love and Christ. And that's what we are called to. To live out this deep sacrificial love for, the, for one another. To be the Jesus version of ourselves, whatever role we're in, for the other person. To love one another stupidly and radically and see Christ come. Okay. That's what I got. This was a sermon on power and gender. There are like a million caveats we could put probably on everything I said, but I don't think you want me to keep talking. <laughs> right? I mean, we could do a semester-long course on this, but like, let us go back to St. John of the Cross, where there is no love, put in love, and there you will find In your marriages, in your communities, in your friendships, in your work relationships, in your households, where there is no love, put in love, and there you will find love. Love one another in the deep sacrificial love of Christ, and you will see the kingdom of God come. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be the Jesus version of ourselves. Wherever we find ourselves in this world, the 
Lord, help us to build a community of deep, sacrificial love for one another. And Lord, we pray that when we empty ourselves as Christ did, you would come. That you would come and fill in that space and that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.